So this show is carbon positive. We've partnered with Carbon Positive to allow us to get to that point. Listen to the show to find out how you also can become carbon positive. I have one GCSE. I'm dyslexic, I'm dyspraxic, and I have mild ADHD, which makes things rather exciting when trying to run a business. However, I have built multi-million pound businesses with no investment, and now I invest in others. And guess what? I love every minute. I'm Oliver Bruce. This is my podcast, Success is in the Mind, and welcome to The Journey, a podcast where we speak to founders and entrepreneurs from the businesses that you've always wanted to know more about. We delve into the formative years of their business lives and ask those with the inside track on startup and scale up life, the questions I wish I knew the answers to when I started out. As always, the more you share and subscribe to this podcast, the more people that'll be able to learn, enjoy and avoid the mistakes that so many make. So when should you raise VC funding? Should founders give all employees equity and what do acronyms banded around in boardrooms like SEIS, EIS, TAM and VAT actually mean to founders like you? We'll shed light on just how many founders are neurologically diverse, and we'll show you how to get through tough times when things inevitably get hard. I'm Oliver Bruce, and welcome to Success is in the Mind, the journey. I think in my head, I've now got to a point where I accept that actually switching off it's not a negative it's a positive in the sense that it's going to recharge me it's going to allow me to you know to be more efficient within the time frames that i am working look there, there, there are a lot of highs and lows and the lows are incredibly low hats off to them for having put the faith into us i'd like to think that we've delivered i have the mentality that i'd rather have a small piece of a big pie than a big piece of a small pie um you know it's it's not about greed um it's about yeah change so, Joe, thank you so much for joining me. Um, you were born, now you're here. What's happened in between? So, God, dating back to the very beginning. You're right, I did start off by being born. Um, <laughs> I so grew up, born in the UK, uh, lived in the UK till I was about four years old. When I was four years old, my parents decided to up and change it and flew myself and, well, one of my sisters at the time to Spain. Uh, so I actually lived in Spain for 15 years. Um, when I was 13, came back to the UK to attend boarding school in Hertfordshire. Um, great experience, you know, living with your like your, your friends, essentially. Uh, it was great fun. Um, and then, God, fo- following school, didn't want to necessarily follow the herd straight to university, as it were. So instead, I followed the herd to Africa, where I went on to train um, as both a safari guide and conservationist. Uh, had some crazy experiences out there, I guess, following that i decided to go to university in manchester where i studied animal genetics it was then in my first year and my co-founder's second year um that we stumbled into i guess what was and still is the student financial crisis um leading on to the launch of unitasker that is that's an unbelievable background i mean you traveled a lot africa's unreal right <laughs> africa's just amazing amazing why didn't you stay out there do you know what? i remember my first touch point like going to africa i was really fortunate to be able to go on a safari when i was 16 and at the time the the owner of the safari lodge happened to be there on holiday um and me being myself i managed to convince him to fly me out for my 16 year old work experience to come and work in a safari lodge uh, so whilst my friends are working <laughs> at the local estate agent down the road uh, i had a bit of a different experience that was really my first proper touch point with africa um i got to experience a lot of you know the nature the culture um the people um which really triggered that kind of later interest in my life to go back 
That's the most, I just, I mean, if I could move anywhere, it would actually be Africa. I've been out there uh, on a safari for, I don't know, a couple of weeks and it was, I just fell in love with the place. It's just unreal. There's nothing quite like it, you know, like it's, it's, it's just peaceful. Like I, I remember when I was doing my course at the time as a safari ranger, you know, you can see two and a half thousand stars from the human eye, five planets, um, you know, sp the spiral galaxy behind the Milky Way. Like it was just peaceful. There was not a single worry. I think my biggest worry was don't get bit by a snake. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, or a hippo. Or a lion. Like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Rule, but <laughs> seems kind of relative now. But <laughs> honestly, it's unbelievable. But you've decided to come back to the UK and, and essentially say go to university. But now you've got what is quite a successful business. You need to ask her. And you, you said that you obviously persuaded the the person who owned the safari lodge for you to fly out there. You've been quite good with wheeling, dealing, whatever you might call it, both at school in Africa and in the UK. Have you always kind of wanted to go into business? Um, yeah, to be very honest, um, I don't, both my grandparents on both my mum and dad's sides were in business. Um, my dad, um, is a metal trader and art collector, so didn't necessarily have to have a business of his own, but I've always kind of had that touch point growing up. Um, I've always had a very entrepreneurial mindset, I guess, you know, from the age of 11, uh, growing up on a golf course in Spain, I identified exactly where golfers would tend to hook their balls. So over the years, I went collecting golf balls, uh, you know, loaded them up in my bath, bleached them all, repackaged them. And I used to sit down on the perfect corner. I knew most golfers, if they weren't a good golfer, would end up losing their ball. And I remember raking in, you know, a few thousand pounds on the weekend, just sending golf <laughs> balls at the age of 11. Um, I think yeah, like that was that was interesting. And, like even going to school, um, Ollie and my my co-founder mm. and I, where we actually used to sell sweets in the playground together. Um, you know that kind of standard kind of school uh, jazz. And um, I think Ollie was the one man in the office. I'd be the one going out and about, going and finding new customers. Uh, so yeah, I think we've we've always been quite entrepreneurial. <laughs> there I was thinking you were going to say you're in Spain on a golf course, and you realised you wanted to go into business just so you could have that lifestyle. But no, it was to to sell golf balls. I think that kind of entrepreneurial spirit, as you say, runs through your family. But arguably, do you think it's hereditary in that sense? Then obviously you've had a pretty lucky upbringing. You've unlike some people out there, you've been to boarding school, which by definition gives you an element of of, of privilege. I went to boarding school and hated every minute. You obviously quite enjoyed it. Do you think um, the way that that you were brought up, the fact that you were traveling so much, the, the fact that you went to a, a school that was fundamentally a good education or gave you a good education, formed you as a leader, as a person, as an entrepreneur? Or do you think you could have done it without all of that? It's a, it's a really good question. I think it's kind of, it's, it's quite a hard one to answer in the sense that, you know, ha, I, I wouldn't know because I haven't necessarily been on one side or the other of it. Um, I definitely feel fortunate in, in the way I've been able to be brought up. I think the fact that I've been able to travel and you know have the number of experiences that I have have led me to become more rounded as a person. Um, you know, definitely more empathetic and sympathetic towards different people's situations. Um, but also, you know, you know, largely comes down to the way that I've been brought up from my parents. Um, my mum, you know, always super kind of hard. Um, she's an overachiever to her core, yeah, yeah. Um, but always very like you know resilient and hard on us, <laughs> um, like in, in a positive way. Um, my dad, you know, more the mentality of, you know, let's give it to them and let's make them want it so that they want to obtain it. Um, so I think having that balance between both my parents' uh, yeah. parenting methods, let's say, um, definitely kind of helped kind of build me into the person I am today. And, and that empathy, I suppose, runs through Unitask because fundamentally what it is, is it's allowing students with no money to, to, to essentially make money, I suppose. And you found a gap in the market to help them and to help you. Where was that initial concept born from? That's, that's a really nice touch point because, you know, to be honest, I think often people go out and they look at setting up a company looking very much at the end goal. Um, and for me, it's never been about looking at the end goal. It's been looking at the starting point. Um, you know, I 
I think if you often, if you know, people that follow the money necessarily put too much focus and attention on the outcome and will seldom kind of reach it. Uh, whereas for me, it was about building, you know, an idea surrounding a wider mission. Uh, so kind of about uni tasker. When I was studying, both Ollie and I had a number of friends that were either A, graduating, yet didn't have the experience they needed to go into their sector of choice, or B, having to leave university because they couldn't afford the cost of living. And we had this time and time again. Um, and I remember speaking with Ollie about it one night. And, um, you know, we sat down and we're like, well, students, you know, they've got this abundance of skills. Like, look at the two of us. You know, I spoke Spanish. You know, I was a barber. Ollie was an incredible uh, designer. You know, it's like, why couldn't we harness these skill sets whilst we're studying, build relative experience around our studies, and then, you know, capitalize that on that to help us get better into our sector of choice post graduation? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just felt like a really pivotal flaw in the current education to employment gap. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't quite understand why no one was quite doing the same thing. Because, like, naturally, there's always been, you know, part time jobs you know, working flexible hours at a bar, for example, but nothing that's going to actually better the individual, give them the opportunity to explore the things that they generally have an interest in to take further in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where it really, really started. Um, you know, we, we sat down, we put pen to paper. Um, initially, we, we were going through any names we could to try and come up with. So the, the initial product was actually called UniDosh, which was a student-to-student platform. Yeah. Um, we tried to get UniDosh trading for years. Where it fell a bit flat was students super hungry to earn money, very receptive towards taking on jobs, don't want to spend it. And we tried everything, <laughs> like everything. It was book a, book a clean, you know, yeah. book a, um, a DJ would give you an after party cleaner, but nothing quite triggered it. Um, so then we later kind of rebranded, mm-hmm. pivoted the concept, uh, which enabled us to kind of really scale up. Now, it makes, it makes a lot of sense because you guys are in the Startup 100 this year, which is how I came across you guys. But do you think, dialing it back, you know, the seven years or so that you've run the business, going back to when you founded it, do you think it worked because you guys were fundamentally of the age that most students, I suppose, kind of were? So rather than someone in a, you know, white collar shirt and tie coming in and going, right, this is what we're doing, you guys could actually build that rapport with fundamentally Gen Z, millennials, whoever it might have been back then. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's definitely a factor that worked towards our advantage. Um, that being said as well, you know, you have the other side where you're kind of almost pushed into believing that there's, you know, one fundamental way of launching a business, you know. And I think that's, I, I don't really agree with that methodology. Um, I think at the time we tried to find a balance between produce, creating a product that we knew our peers would enjoy, but equally creating, you know, a corporate face that investors would appeal to. Um, and when we stopped focusing as much so on what you know was the set way of doing things and actually started doing things our way, the way that we felt was right, that's where we really um, saw, saw our growth. Because mm-hmm. I mean, when I started, I was 19, I was at university and actually, ironically, I used uni students who were my peers to code and develop the website and, and, and fundamentally the app. I had an app that we developed and it was going to be franchised, but it didn't fully take off. But nevertheless, it was still that peer-to-peer student thing where I used the guys with the skills in the university at no cost, right? Because we were just mates and we had, to your point, all of those different skills. And skimming through, you know, Unitasker and your website now, there was the ticker tape along the bottom and there was a job out there for you know registering product on Depop for ten quid, you know, and it really can be as as kind of simple as that. But how do you guys make money from that ten pounds? Because you must have to sell a lot of those things to be able to make any cash. Yeah, so so good question. So there's actually two facets to the business. On one side, we've got the Unitask platform, whereby we provide students, you know, from the range ages of sixteen to twenty five, with these short term kind of job opportunities, small freelance based opportunities around their studies. Um, actually, recently we've we partnered with LinkedIn to launch Unitasker Pro, uh, which sees us launching into the graduate recruitment market. So now, no longer 
we only accessible for freelance jobs and tasks, but we now offer the opportunity to receive internship opportunities, part-time and even full-time grad hires, uh, which is a super exciting chapter for us. Um, on the actual Unitask platform, we haven't really monetized to date. Um, reason being, you know, we put a focus into building a community. We didn't want there to be a cost barrier to prevent us from really being able to scale up the business and demonstrate the value that we knew it could provide to the community, both business, household, and student. So, you know, it was very much community focused. Then over the years, I mean, look back to, to today, we now have over a quarter of a million members um, on the platform joining by about over 10,000 a month at the moment, which is which is great to see. Uh, we've seen over five and a half million pounds worth of jobs provided on the platform um, for over 300,000 individual job opportunities. Um, and, you know, it, most importantly, it's making a difference. You know, like students are actually getting what they need from it. So we've got to a point now where we've just monetized through the release of Unitasker Pro. So this is essentially our subscription service. Um, what we found is that one, businesses uh, tend to have a really high application rate on students. So we average around 20 applicants um, per task or job posted on the platform. Secondly, we've seen a really high um, conversation rate. And when I say conversation rate, I mean from you know the, uh, the business wanting to speak to the applicants in the applicants pool, having seen their CV and so on. So with, with Unitasker Pro, we're essentially capping the amount of jobs that can be posted and the amount of conversations that can be triggered with applicants in order to even post more jobs or you know speak to more applicants. You need to essentially upgrade your package. Um, yeah. So so I'm really excited to see how that kind of the movement that we see on that side of the platform. Um, separate to that, we have Shout by Unitasker. So. I think when you have a community of students, there's so many ways to monetize. So for us, I think Shout actually came out as a bit of a magical mistake and it's turned into likely the biggest part of our business. Um, so Oli and I were sat down one night, we just relaunched the Unitasker platform. We um, we, wanted student, we wanted to give students jobs and we didn't have enough businesses posting jobs at the point. So we thought over a whiskey, I think <laughs> it was, let's post a job, let's get 50 students to shout us out. Best case, it does something from a marketing standpoint. Worst case, um, at least we paid 50 students, you know, a quick five or 10 or whatever it was at the time. Overnight, just actually paying our own students to shout us out took us viral. We had the top 100 apps on the App Store. It was just this explosion of momentum that we had tried for so many years to achieve. And we tried everything. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, th we kind of like came back a few weeks later and we identified that, oh, this massive spike came from actually having our own students shout us out. Great. Well, how do we package this up and promote this type of brands? And that's kind of where we stumbled into the movement of the nano influencer. Um, mm -hmm. Last year, we were announced by TikTok as having the largest network of nano influencers in the world. We've now got 150,000 small creators on our books with mm -hmm. over 500 million followers um, combined, which has allowed us to kind of work with you know your big household names like your Spotify's, Uber's, um, etc. Um, but more importantly, it's given us another way of allowing students to monetize you know th their their social media. You know, there are students that want to capitalize on these skill sets that they have, and you know if you're studying copywriting, you know, actually taking on blogging gigs around your studies is great. But also there's a large portion of students which perhaps are a little bit lazier uh, and the idea of monetizing their social media <laughs> to earn an income and build experience working with these global brands, um, it's been really exciting for them. This podcast is sponsored by Huel, and I want to talk to you about the Huel Black Edition, which is a high-protein meal with everything your body needs in a complete shake. All you need to do is add two scoops to water, and you've got yourself 26 essential vitamins and minerals and 40 grams of protein in one 400-calorie serving. I'm sure many of you can relate to not being able to get a nutritious breakfast or lunch in your working week, and I've found that Huel is the answer. It automates what you do for those meals, so in the morning, I don't have to think about it. 
add it. I add water, two scoops, shake and go. It eliminates the possibility of making those questionable breakfast decisions and I know I've got the protein, I've got the calories and I've got the vitamins. During the working day, just automate it. Make it easy for yourself. There's all sorts of good stuff in Huel. Vitamin D, C, E, iron, fibre, protein. It saves me time and it saves you that decision-making process that sometimes leads to you choosing the more unhealthy option. So, if you want to try it, go to Huel.com forward slash success. That's H-U-E-L dot com forward slash success and you'll get a free t-shirt and a shaker with your first order. Back to the episode. And it's almost like you guys have have predicted the cost of living crisis seven years prior to it actually happening, right? Because, you know, it must be so, well, it is so relevant now, isn't it? In as much as students who have never had cash fundamentally have even less cash because everything's going up and up and up and up. Do you think in time the growth for Unitasker might well be into, into the professional world from a, from a you know, post-grad point of view as well? And revolutionising LinkedIn, which I personally think could do with a bit of a facelift and a bit of a, an uplift because it's getting a bit dated and old school now. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's something in that or, or how's that looking for you guys in the future? I'd like to say that we perfectly planned the last 10 years um, and the following 10 years. um, You know, we've been quite fortunate. We've positioned ourselves well to adapt to the market. Um, You know, as as we look like even dating back to before COVID, we pivoted to focus more so on online remote work. Then COVID came in and because we had made that pivot, we saw exponential growth. You know, we hit number one lifestyle app, number one business app on the app store. I mean, there were days that we had 20,000 members coming in overnight. Like, And I remember those moments when I was studying where when we first launched Utasco, where if we saw 10 in a day, we were ecstatic. Um, and, you know, but then following that, that gave us the momentum we needed on the student side to have the workforce we needed, which now coming into the recession and obviously with the cost of living crisis puts us in a favorable position to be able to support not only students, but also businesses. You know, I think businesses of all sizes are now looking at, you know, more affordable means of outsourcing, um, you know, more junior hires perhaps to fill, you know, holes in, in the system, essentially. Um, and our workforce is very well catered towards doing that. In terms of your question about the development of Unitasker and where it will go, um, right now we're very much focused on the student market. Obviously, with the release of Pro, as I said before, we have opened up into grad recruitment because ultimately we have this funnel of students each year that we're graduating, which we weren't able to place. And so now we are able to place them in full-time opportunities. But no, I'm, I'm incredibly excited to see how the platform develops. I don't think there's any right or wrong. Um, you know, it's constant learnings. Yeah, 100%. It's quite exciting. And it must be quite exciting, as you said, when you were sat at university and you had those 10 applicants coming through. Now, just to go back to uni when you first started it with Ollie then, what did that kind of thought process look like? You said you came up with Shout Over a Whiskey. What did you come up? You know, how did you come up with Unitasker? Where were you? What were you doing? And how did you get it off the ground? Because, you know, launching something that works is is not easy. No, and especially launching a marketplace. Um, you know, I think marketplaces are amongst the hardest businesses to launch. Um, in the sense that, you know, trying to build up that buyer seller demand is often very challenging. If you don't have enough jobs coming into the platform, um, you know, the sellers lose interest. You don't have enough uh, on, on the flip side, then buyers lose interest. So um, I think mean, where it really starts, I think we were naive, but I think you have to be naive, you know, like I, th- I, I, I honestly, yeah. like genuinely speaking, I think, you know, like, like I said, like we, we had, we saw, we saw a problem. We didn't understand mm. how difficult it was necessarily going to be to achieve the end result. Um, and I think if we had, we probably wouldn't have done it in the first place. <laughs> but, but you know, that, yeah. that being said, um, you know, we, we put pen to paper. We, we, you know, built out an initial business plan. Yeah. Um, you know, we pitched to friends and family, and you know, did our best to convince them that we've got something here that, given you know the right amount of care, could work. And 
you know, as I said before, more importantly, can make a difference. And, you know, people bought into the concept, you know, every, I mean, you speak to anyone and you like, I don't think there's been anyone that I've spoken to, which has said, that's a terrible idea because people, you know, especially if you've studied, you know, you know that likely you need more money as a student, you know, as a business, great. You're looking to outsource, you know, and you're looking to reduce your costs. So it, it makes sense as a concept. And I think that was quite, it's been quite, you know, not easy because it hasn't been easy, but, um, you know, quite fruitful when it comes to actually, you know, pushing the concept forward. Yeah. And I seem to remember when I was at university and I'm what, 29 now. So that was about 10, 13 years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what essentially I did was flyering. Yeah. That was how I made my money. And that was all there was, right? That was all there was. You could, you could literally go out there, 20, 30 flyers, shove them in the bin, you get your 10 pounds and you go home. And that was how I made my money. <laughs> So true. And I watched them do that in the past. Like I used to have a flat literally looking above the main flyer yeah. on spot for Unitasker. And I would see the occasional flyer and get towards the end of the that's shift it. and just that's dump it. them in the bin. And I remember looking at them out the window, just like, what are you doing? <laughs> but that was the only way to make really money unless you actually went and went and got a job. And it does seem it does seem so obvious. But you said that you spoke to your friends and family in terms of getting that seed cap or pre-seed. You know, it's for those that don't have friends and family that can give you cash, it's really, really difficult. But when you do have that, that ability you know what does that sales pitch look like to your mum your dad your brother your sister if you want five ten fifteen grand from them how do you go to them? how do you get that and how you know how do you make them believe in you rather than them just going yeah it's just my kid do you know what i mean because you have to make it business orientated i mean i've always you know relied on fact um mm -hmm. i think you know i never wanted an easy handout that's not who i am i've worked hard for absolutely everything that i've achieved in my life um but, you know, so I knew going into it and so did Ollie from the offset that if we were going to pitch this to our family and friends, and, you know, it's even more daunting taking someone that you know is money than someone that you don't know is money because um, there's a personal connection exactly. towards it. So we knew that we, you know, we didn't want to ask for the money unless we knew that there was actually a viable route forward. So it was actually came down to the groundwork, um, you know, prior to actually taking to them, that I think was the most important element mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, we conducted surveys, we ran focus groups amongst campus to really understand how students were feeling. Um, you know, we built out our business plan. We went through multiple iterations to get it to a point that we believed in it, you know, solely and, and truly. And once we got to that point that we felt comfortable, um, and you know, I think we, we were buzzing about the idea at the time when we got to that point. You know, we thought we thought we were going we to achieve what we were looking to achieve in the space of a year. Again, it comes back <laughs> to that naivety. Um, but <laughs> it, it was more so about solving that problem. And you know, we we pitched them. We sat down. We went through our numbers. We went through the initial concept. You know, they had feedback. You know, different people. I don't think anyone's going to completely agree with your idea. Um, and that's all that's fine as well i think advice you know it's something to be taken with a pinch of salt um you know all advices i guess is something that's worked well for one individual doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you um so but actually sticking to our guns um you know and wholeheartedly believing in the mission that we were ready to kind of embark on and making them believe that we you know that we were ready to embark on that mission was was what we really needed so how much did you raise then from friends and family yeah so i mean initially speaking we we managed um to raise 100 grand um which was not not necessarily a small feat for for an initial kind of concept. No. Um, you know, obviously we were quite good at pitching pitching that initial business plan. Um, but you know, I think I think they all saw they saw the value in what we had to offer. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been a really different kind of journey to what most perhaps might have. I mean, often you know, if you raise institutional funding from an early kind of stage, um, you've got a lot of people on your back necessarily. You know, dictating how you should mm. or shouldn't do what you're necessarily trying to do. Um, we've been fortunate in the fact in the sense that our friends and family that did put in uh, were quite happy to sit back and let us 
get on with it really which you know having two inexperienced entrepreneurs at the time take your money and roll with it i mean hats off to them for having put the faith into us i'd like to think that we've delivered um but <laughs> i just wanted to say i hope you're enjoying the episode so far and if you are we'd love it if you could rate it subscribe to it and share it with friends and colleagues as you know the more reach that we get the bigger the guests become and the more knowledge sharing that we can do to find out more head over to successpodcast.co.uk as a startup or SME, it can be hard to keep your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on 100% of the time. A past guest of the show and now series sponsor, Habu, offers solutions to businesses and organisations of varying sizes the ability to pick and pack your product from their D2C hubs across Europe. You can now stop asking your partner to help box up a recent order, and your living room will no longer be filled with boxes from floor to ceiling. Instead, the team at Habu will do all of this for you, and you don't need to worry about size. Habu helps start Startups with orders of less than 500 parcels a week all the way through to larger organisations with more complexities. So speak to the team at habu.com and quote success pod and see how they can help you. Back to the episode. Based on what LinkedIn says, and it may well be wrong, but it says that you've got circa 70 staff. Now, that is very good growth. That's a good sized company. I'm assuming 70 staff is, is correct or is that an incorrect fact? So no, so, so it's not not entirely. Um, so we're currently at around 20 full time. Um, often a lot of students on our platform will directly cut on LinkedIn that they are a freelancer at Unitasker, <laughs> okay. uh, which is one of our kind of growth yeah, yeah. methods to you know attract more businesses and so on. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that we've been able to kind of keep our staffing fairly lean is the fact that we've been able to rely on our student workforce to, you know, fill gaps in the system. Exactly yeah. the same reason that we promote Unitasker to any other business, you know, especially in the early days when we needed support with design, you know, copywriting, uh, website builds, anything we needed. We had an army at our you know, disposal to kind of support us and we were quite happy to put back into that ecosystem that we were, you know, trying to build. 100%. And that's really interesting then that the perception for what you guys have done, whilst you have done amazingly actually on LinkedIn, it's slightly warped, which is really interesting in terms of when you're building a brand, how the analogy of fake it till you make it is is totally relevant, really, because you do have to be perceived as to doing something, even if you're maybe not quite there just yet. I'm not saying that you guys are at all. That's a no. It's a, it's a really fine line, you know, um, like... You know, for, for for example, we absolutely in our early days we did a great job of branding the company and making us look like a much larger corporation than perhaps we were at the time. Um, but that also had a negative effect on students buying into the concept because again, they thought it was a big corporate time to take advantage as opposed to two young students that had an idea to support students. Um, so I think it is a really fine line between what you put out there. You know, like I remember even in my early days with Shout because uh, I head up our kind of sales and partnerships uh, side of the business and. I remember, you know, I'd put on a million different names, a million different hats. Oh, yeah, let me pass it over to legal. Let, you know, I'll get the accountants <laughs> to have a look at this. And then I know then it's just coming straight back to me. But whereas now I've kind of done a 360 and, you know, going on to these calls with new clients, you know, I'll, I'll openly say, I'm, you know, I'm one of the co-founders at Unitasker and they love it. You know, they love the fact that, you know, the, like the co-founder, you know, is taking time to speak to them. Um, whereas in my early days, I didn't feel I could do that because I didn't think we had enough gravitas to be able to get away with it. Whereas now... I feel like I can wholeheartedly be who I am uh, without having to wear the, as many hats as I once was. It's so true, and I can relate entirely to that because when I when I started this, I had a small little box office, and it was just it was just me, and would send out a mail shot, and the phone would then ring, and I'd, you know we'd we'd pick up the phone, and we'd say we'd say the mail shot was from someone called Sarah Bean, right? Phone cuts, yeah, you know, call the phone. I, I, well, yeah, I, I pick the phone up and I go, "Hello, pinpoint pinpoint media," and they go, "Hello, is is Sarah there?" And I go. 
no, no, she's actually in a meeting at the moment. Can I take your number and get someone to give you a call back? And then you take their number and then two hours later, I'll call them back knowing full well that actually they initially called me in the first place. And it's really weird how psychologically when you're starting a company, you think you have to be bigger than fundamentally you actually need to be. And actually, if I'd have just gone, yeah, hey, I sent you that email, how can I help? Perfectly fine. No one's going to not buy from you because they've spoken to a one-man band. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I completely back that. Um, it, it, it's a strange kind of mental process that you have to go to. And maybe it's like, uh, you know, it could be somewhat ego um, in its own right as well. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I that think plays part. Yeah. Yeah. And I think over time, you almost uh, get to a point where you go, I just don't, it doesn't matter. It really does. I was listening to Rory Sutherland the other day on a podcast and he was saying that recent chappy who won the uh, Nobel Peace Prize just rocked up at his bank. No shoes, no socks, went to cash a massive check. He has a Nobel Peace Prize, right? Whereas the guy in the suit and tie that wants to go and cash a check with no Nobel Peace Prize will go up into the bank and, you know, all la di da di da And it's actually, you know, I think you do have this facade. You do have this barrier up when you're starting to go, look at me, I look the part, so I must be the part. When in reality, just wear whatever you want to wear and do whatever you want to do. And actually, if the idea is good, it'll work. 100%. And I think authenticity is key. Um, it's been key within every part of my business. The reason that Shout as an agency has done you know, as well as it has is been because we rely on you know, everyday people as influencers. We're, not, you know, we're, we're big advocates for championing the little guy. You know, in, in my opinion, every single person has a voice. So you know, why not combine that voice and you know, together that's more powerful than one potential large voice. Um, so you know, I, I, and so that authenticity has been key in terms of who we are as people, how we operate our business, how we act with our employees, um, you know, and how we treat our clients. A hundred percent. And in terms of sacrificing, because obviously you've had pretty supportive friends and family whilst whilst starting this business and growing this business. But in terms of sacrifices, what have you had to had to literally say no to or had to risk to be able to kind of get to where you are? I think that, you know, there's an awful lot of sacrifice that goes in along the way. Um, I'm a good communicator for the most part. So I've been able to obtain a lot of the friendships that I have. I don't think it's necessarily always easy. Um, to be friends with myself and Ollie, given how focused and dedicated we are towards our course. Uh, but our friends have been extremely understanding and they understand that there's compromise. You know, even last week, as I kind of mentioned before we, we came on, um, I went on annual leave for the first time in a while. I went skiing, but the the rest of the group knew that, you know, Ollie and I were working until midday, one o'clock each day. And then we'd come on and meet them afterwards, you know, make sure we had a bit of time to switch off. But that was part of the compromise of us coming was that we needed to still do that work. I think in terms of other sacrifice, you know, there's a massive sacrifice towards your social life, um, towards relationships, um, both with family um, and partners. Um, I was with my ex for practically seven years, um, and you know, but you know, I put the business first. Um, which you know, I, I like in terms of where I'm at today, very happy. Um, it's that you know, I'm by no means negative about the situation. It was a great experience, um, but you know, there has been sacrifices coming along the way. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we're recording this on Valentine's Day, to, yeah. so to say. That yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you broke stuff, up with your right? ex for the business. <laughs> very, very romantic. Yeah. But in terms of in terms of sacrifices, was that a cognitive decision, Joe? Did you kind of go, I need to get the business to a point that I'm satisfied with, so therefore you are going to be second in life? Or was that just something that happened you know, in, in the back of your mind subconsciously? Was that something you decided I'm, to do? You know, I think like anything, you try and find a balance, but I don't think... I think you lean towards the things that are obviously more important to you at that given time. Um, I've always tried to find as well a balance as I possibly could, um, but I'm also extremely driven. You know, I'm absolutely on my mission. You know, for me, I want to make change. You know, I don't want a single student to ever have to graduate 
um, and not be able to go into their job of choice. I don't want, equally, I don't want a student to ever have to leave university because they can't afford the cost of living. Like to me, that is my mission. That is what I'm gunning for. And that is what I will achieve. Yeah, university, I mean, it's just you have such a good time that, frankly, what you're doing for the guys at university is just making it even easier for them. Because exactly. you know, apart from drinking, exactly. and, well, when I was when I was there, it was all about the drinking. I think now generations are changing and it's less about the boozing and it's more about... <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a little bit. It's more it's about balance, right? Like everything, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not quite as much as it used to be. It was very yeah. wasted, very <laughs> wasted towards the alcohol. Um, in terms of, uh, I suppose, you know, the scale for the next couple of months, couple of years, you, you mentioned to me earlier that you were going through a VC fund pretty much when this when this airs. You know, you've raised a hundred or so thousand pounds when you started. You've raised multiple rounds since then. You're going to raise some more money. Why keep raising? When will you get profitable? Is it ever going to get profitable? And are you just going to throw money after money and get it to a point that you can exit? Yes, it's a good question. Um, so why keep raising? You know, I think right now uh, in the early days we needed to raise because we hadn't monetized sufficiently, um, and it was the only way to necessarily keep the lights on and keep the business moving. And because we believed in the concept and what it could achieve over time, we were prepared to take that risk. Um, now we're looking to raise not so necessarily because we need the money, but more so because we'd like to turbocharge this next chapter of growth. Um, at our core, we're a technology company. So everything that we do revolves around that, both on the Unitask platform and through Shout, uh, be it running as an agency right now, we're building out um, technology to enable individuals to run their large-scale nano-influence campaigns um, themselves, uh, which is super exciting. Um, and in order to run a technology company, you require a lot of funds uh, to both <laughs> invest in the technology itself and sustain the technology. Um, so, you know, I think the reason we're raising this round right now is to really turbocharge this next growth factor. We're very close to achieving um, profitability, um, which is something that Ollie and I have, you know, been working for a long time to achieve. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm exci we're excited for this next chapter. Yeah, hundred percent. And in terms, I suppose, of of when you raise and why you raise, you say at the moment you don't necessarily need to raise, which ironically is the best time to raise. But in terms of dilution, etc., how do you guys go about diluting the equity? Why do you guys dilute equity, and, and do you need to? And I know, obviously, the answer to this to a certain extent, but for the listeners, what is the point of doing that? I mean, look, I, I'm I'm an advocate. Well, if you don't need to raise, don't raise. I don't think one should raise solely for ego and to you know raise a valuation buying a company that's not necessarily profitable yet. The only reason, again, I'm looking to raise right now is to turbocharge this next growth stage for us. We've just launched in the US um, about three months ago. The US side of the business is already fast catching up with the UK side of the business. We're practically doing over a thousand uh, new members joining the platform a day right now. Um, spanning out pretty much across the whole US, which is super exciting. Um, but in order to sustain that growth, we require, well, well, we want to put on more funds to better build out on the infrastructure. Um, I think, you know, why dilute? I mean, at the end of the day, I have the mentality that I'd rather have a small piece of a big pie than a big piece of a small pie. Um, you know, it's, it's not about greed. Um, it's about, yeah, change. This podcast is sponsored by Huel, and I want to talk to you about the Huel Black Edition, which is a high-protein meal with everything your body needs in a complete shake. All you need to do is add two scoops to water, and you've got yourself 26 essential vitamins and minerals and 40 grams of protein in one 400-calorie serving. If you want to try it, go to huel.com forward slash success. That's H-U-E-L dot com forward slash success, and you'll get a free T-shirt and a shaker with your first order. Back to the episode.
And in terms of when you when you started at your age, looking at your age, and ironically looking at the students' age, right? Did you get taken seriously based on the fact that you were a lot younger? I mean, founders that are going into business now from the ages of you know teenagers up to twenties, thirties, etc. There's often this 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 stigma around being young in business and how you don't get taken quite as seriously as those that maybe have had a career elsewhere. How did you find that work for you? I mean, I think there's less of a stigma nowadays than perhaps when I started. Um, you know, I think there's been a massive boom in terms of younger founders and the exceptional work that they've been able to achieve. Um, I think it's also relevant to the industries that you're going into. So similar to your earlier question, with us kind of putting focus towards the student market, who's necessarily someone who's better to argue our position on the student market than students themselves. Um, so, you know, that definitely helped with kind of building that initial gravitas. But at the same time, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's hard to be heard as a young founder, especially back when we started, we had to work incredibly hard on, you know, our personal branding um, to elevate ourselves as thought leaders within our space to be able to get to a point that people would take us seriously. Um, Ollie and I entered a lot of competitions in our early days. Um, I mean, we did incredibly well with them. So we were quite fortunate that brought in quite a lot of PR, um, you know, awards that were tied towards future funding rounds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's definitely challenging. I mean, I was going to mention about the awards because you've got tons of them and tons of PR and publication uh, extracts, such as you know uh, Metro Forbes being one of them. I mean, everyone wants to be in Forbes. How did you? How did you cut that deal? Uh, t- to be honest, like I at the beginning, I, I did all of our PR myself practically. Um, right. I yeah, <laughs> I mean, I didn't actually pay, pay any uh, PR agency for years. Only in the past few years, we started working with a few different PR agencies, depending on the opportunities that you know we wanted to really get out there. And I think that just came down to a lack of time for myself to put into it. Um, but definitely, like as, as I kind of said, entering those competitions, putting yourself out there was a really good way of us kind of building up you know some stigma surrounding what we're doing um i joined a lot of different pr kind of groups so there was a group on facebook that i used to be a member of um quite clever actually it, it, the the lady who started it charlotte um it's called light bulb the group and she she basically tied in a, lo- a load of journos and prs who were looking to speak to like, entrepreneurs and founders and then she tied in a number of founders and entrepreneurs and the group just you know just worked extremely well so i used to check on there for different like pr opportunities i used to be part of a uh, a system called Press Plugs, Journal Request, um, that also helped me locate opportunities. And I was really just pitching ourselves in. And I think I came across something from Forbes initially regarding, you know, students and earning and so on. And I just pitched, I pitched in for it and she liked the story. I mean, we actually had a, what, what not irritated me, um, but, but obviously the first Forbes piece that we had was surrounding Unidosh and then we rebranded to Unitasker. And that was one of my sadder things about letting go of the initial brand. I didn't, yeah. you know, we had had so much PR around Unidosh, all our competitions in Unidosh. And then we were starting again and it was like, oh, we've got to build the brand again. Um, fortunately, a couple of months ago, we actually did a follow-up uh, piece <laughs> with Forbes, which was pretty cool. <laughs> now it's Unitasker. <laughs> yeah, that was the one I saw and that looked, that looked pretty good. But I mean, to just go back to the Gravitas piece and actually the awards making the, the, the noise and the personal branding aspect, you got half a million followers and nearly 21 million likes on TikTok. I mean, that is, you know, nearly Kylie Jenner's nearly as much as that. We've been, you know, we read to our audience. Um, you know, we, we know what students want to see and what they want to hear. And we, we put out topical conversation that tr- triggers wider interest. 
And TikTok fundamentally is a Gen Z platform, right? So actually trying I'm to sad. tap into oh, TikTok, TikTok's been amazing for us. Like, you know, I, I kind of, and, and I, I'll big, big credit to my sister, Kaylee, uh, who actually works for us now. She's our first, she was our first US hire. Um, she's growing a team out there in the US for us. Yeah, she's, she's exceptional. Um, I remember, so even though we had launched out, we were primarily focused on Instagram shout outs and so on, which was triggering good growth for, for our business. Um, but I remember Kaylee coming to Ollie and I one night, and this must have been the beginning of COVID, and she was like, Joseph, Ollie, uh, TikTok, kind of a big thing. Do you mind if I post on, on our channel just a bit of tutorial about who uni tasker is, et cetera? Um, I was like, sure, go for it. What do we have to lose? About an hour later, she comes back to me, and she's like, it's got 20,000 views. I was like, what? It's been live an hour. She goes, wait, no, 30,000 <laughs> views. 35,000 views and we're looking at it and that night we had to spin up our servants practically like five times larger than ubers it was just side ups like i'm talking like thousands by you know every hour thousands of new members coming in and i, I was sat there with ollie her we're all kind of managing it you know it was very small at the time there was like the three of us just there sitting around the table you know i think ollie and i were just pouring the whiskey down we're all community <laughs> managing answering students <laughs> questions making sure there's competitions to trigger off more users coming in um, and, and it was really that kind of initial interaction with TikTok that kind of allowed us to build out on our agency offering through Shell um, and replicate it again for other brands. And, you know, now I think there's like over a thousand videos that students have created on Unitasker, which has been, you know, the primary source of our, our growth. Yeah, 100% TikTok's remarkable. And when you must have posted that, I mean, the algorithms back in the day were so easy to get those that uplift on on, on views. Honestly, if you saw the video, it'd make you laugh. Like, <laughs> it was it was maybe like a 15-second clip of someone going, hey, I'm at home, I'd love to earn money as a student, call this app, boom. That was it. It was like, I tried for years. <laughs> I tried for years to find the best way. And she just, my little <laughs> sister, cracked it like that. I was just like, and she, she got it. She got a job out of it and got posted yeah, yeah, to America. Yeah, no, she, I mean, she's absolutely smashing it. I'm very proud of her. It's a bit of a win. And in terms of working then with friends and family, obviously you got Ollie, which is your mate fundamentally, but you've also got your sister, who who is based in America, as you rightly say. What's it like working with family as well as friends? Because they always say don't do either. Yeah, so I've done both, and uh, on yeah. numerous <laughs> occasions. So I mean, <laughs> Ollie's brother Alex worked for us for a period. Um, he went on to set up his own business, and it's doing incredibly well. Um, um, called Black Rooster, so very, very proud of him. But it was great having him involved in the team. Um, you know, then I've had my sister, my sister Kaylee, that obviously works works for us, um, and she, she's a star in her own right. Um, my t my cousin Tiab has worked for us in the past, and is likely to potentially work for us again. Um, but Ollie and I have just built such an incredible relationship. I think you know, going out there as a solo founder, like so much respect to solo founders because you know the the highs and lows are a lot, right? And um, I've, I've been very fortunate to have someone by my side. We have a very good relationship. You know, communication is absolutely key. Um, we, you know, not to say that we're agree necessarily on everything that we put past each other, but we always show each other the respect to hear each other out and, you know, at the very least, you know, see if there is a way forward um, in that kind of respect. And, you know, I don't think we've had any arguments really uh, today. Uh, we've lived together for the past few years as well, just to add an extra, you know, wheel to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is sporty, the fact that you are living together. I mean, I admire it hugely, but it must get quite intense. Is there any ever a point where you just go, I need to go somewhere? I think I think it's intense for other people around us, kind of, which was what I was saying <laughs> earlier, because we're a lot. But in yeah. terms of like us no we absolutely love it you know we're so on our mission and like we get enjoyment out of it you know we'll be sat on the couch watching a film and we'll pause the film and be like oh my god i've just mm -hmm. had a great idea what do you think of this and we'll be like yeah that's great and then you know put it straight into action then and there um 
I, I, honestly, I feel very, very, very fortunate uh, that we've been able to build the relationship that we have. I wouldn't be here without him, vice versa. Well, I mean, that's inspiring because you've got to have a lot of fun in business because there are so many days where it just isn't enjoyable because there's so much stuff going on. Have you ever got to a point, not necessarily with Ollie or anything like that, but where you just go, this is too much. I don't know how I'm going to get through this barrier or this bridge or whatever, and you need to just take yourself away. Hundred percent. I mean, look, I'm, I'm human. Um, well, I like to think so. Um, yeah, it's um, look. There, there, there are a lot of highs and lows, and the lows are incredibly low. I've had days, you yeah. know, when my mental health's been at risk. I've had days where, you know, I felt like the world was going to end. Um, but we always seem to pick ourselves back up. You know, at the end of the day, it's an option, right? Um, you have a choice behind everything that you do, um, within reason. And, you know, it's my choice to continue doing this. I believe in the greater mission behind it. And I think also having put so much goddamn time into it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> now there's like, it's, there's no, there's no option. It's, yeah. it's this way or this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There isn't no, no fork in the road. No, there's not. But look, it's hard. It's hard. Like, I've had a lot of moments that have been challenging. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've pushed past them together. Um, and I'm grateful for it. I've got a great team around me. It's not just, you know, it was Ollie and I for years. Um, now I've got a fantastic team around me that support us day in, day out. And Ollie and I took it as far as we could do between the two of us. And now we're, you know, reliant on the rest of our team to help us take this to the next level. Yeah, 100%. You're, you're incredibly driven. And in terms of when someone says no to you, because for me, I'm reading into the fact that it's your idea, your idea will work and Ollie's idea will be the idea that you go after and, and that's great as a team. But if somebody gets in the way and goes, that's ah, not going to work or I'm not interested or what you're doing is not very good, does that rile you? Does that get you really irritated? Um, no, not not to be honest. Um, maybe 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 early on um, it would have been. Um, I think we're we're super we're super open to other people's ideas. Like I try and tell my whole team the entire time, like no idea is a bad idea. Um, you know, there might be a different way of coming at it, for example. Um, but we're well, our doors are always open to hearing new ideas. Um, as I kind of said, like Ollie and I took it as far as we necessarily could between the two of us. Now we're heavily reliant on other people to help contribute these ideas to take it to the next level. If we're talking about wider life, yeah, I mean, as a person, I, I don't necessarily like being told no, uh, but I think that's kind of, you know, factored towards my drive and, you know, finding a way. I, I like problem solving. So no to me is just another challenge to get around, which sounds a bit strange. As a startup or SME, it can be hard to keep your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on 100% of the time. A past guest of the show and now series sponsor, Habu, offers solutions to businesses and organisations of varying sizes the ability to pick and pack your product from their D2C hubs across Europe. You can now stop asking your partner to help box up a recent order, and your living room will no longer be filled with boxes from floor to ceiling. Instead, the team at Habu will do all of this for you, and you don't need to worry about size. Habu helps start Startups with orders of less than 500 parcels a week all the way through to larger organisations with more complexities. So speak to the team at habu.com and quote success pod and see how they can help you. Back to the episode. But in terms of then raising this seven-figure fund, I'm assuming, which is what you're going for at this point, you know, what do you? how do you set that up? How do you make that a commercially viable proposition for a VC or an angel, for instance, and somebody that wants to put money into you? How do you build that confidence? So... Data, 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 um, to, to, to be very honest. Uh, I mean, naturally, like having a brand that represents something is important. Um, having the gravitas behind the brand that we've been able to achieve through PR and awards has definitely helped gain recognition to both Ollie and I as young founders. But at the end of the day, it's a business um, and they're looking to make a return at some point in time, whether it be in the next few years or at you know, exit. Um, so being able to very clearly demonstrate 
what you're going to do to be able to achieve that um, and what that return looks like for them. Um, and having fact and data to tie towards that to prove that point is of the utmost importance to kind of get people across the line. Um, I mean, look, Ollie and I are still a very long way from where we want to be, um, but we're thoroughly enjoying the journey that we're on. I think often people put a lot of focus towards the, um, you know, the, the, the end result. Um, and we've learned along our journey that it's important to live within the moment and be appreciative of, you know, the small wins as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, you know, you recently went skiing. You fell over your skis and you gave yourself a black eye. But we'll brush over that. But in terms of, it, it, it was actually a bear. A bear came out of nowhere. It? Just, just called me. Uh, you know, you see, you see the rug I've got now. Living. Oh, oh, really nice. Well, I hope you're yeah. taking the head off. Yeah. Exactly. Um, in terms of, in terms of actually stepping back and relaxing again. Yes. No. What we're doing is is good. You said you hadn't been on holiday for a long time. I find it really difficult to switch off and go on holiday. You know, how do you just you know, compartmentalize and go, yep, yeah, today was a good day. What's your process? I, I struggle to switch off. I'm like, I'm terrible. I, I can't switch off. My brain is always going. I lie in bed at night and for hours I'll be thinking about something. I'll wake up in the middle of the night with just a word or an idea that I feel is somewhat relevant and important and I'll write it down and then come back to the next day and go, what's that about? Um, <laughs> but I've also learned, you know, that burnout is real um, and it's important to look after yourself. Um, I work best when I am rested. So making sure, I think in my head, I've now got to a point where I accept that actually switching off, it's not a negative, it's a positive in the sense that it's going to recharge me and it's going to allow me to, you know, to be more efficient within the timeframes that I am working. Um, it's a lot easier said than done, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's much harder. I mean, in terms of when you say you work better when you're rested, in terms of making mistakes when you're unrested, let's put it that way. What kind of mistakes have you have you made? Has it been, has there been anything that's been catastrophic that you've gone that could be the end of uni tasker? Um, nothing necessarily catastrophic. Uh, we've definitely made some strange mistakes along the way. Um, I mean, I remember you know even when we relooked <laughs> when we rebranded under the name uni tasker. Um, we had made the announcement that we were rebranding, yet we hadn't changed our social handles over or saved the social handles. So some smart kids somewhere just took up at Unitasker on Instagram. And <laughs> we, I think I came up with some absolutely outrageous lies as to how it was fraudulent and it was a breach of trademark and all this. Yeah. And I mean, he actually gave us the account back very quickly. Um, but, you know, I think that just came down to being overworked and tired. Um, you know, I've done the same thing with contracts in the early days where we didn't have an in-house counsel. Um, as you know, I've been looking for contracts myself and perhaps I've missed something because I'm working at midnight on something that perhaps I should have just rested and done in the morning. Um, but I mean, there's been nothing necessarily catastrophic. No, I mean, I mean, this is the issue, right, when you're starting a company. So you do a bit of everything and you do everything to sort of 30, 40% of actually how it should be done, right? Like the contracts, for instance. You know, how do you know what the right thing to do at the right point is? And, and how do you delegate correctly, having never really done it before? Yeah, I mean, great question. Um, to be very honest, I've been confidently guessing for years. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we all have, yeah, mate. I think, got, that's, I think that's we, the we, truth. No, we've, it's, it's a balance. Uh, we've, we've got great people behind us. You know, I've been fortunate to have some really fantastic mentors behind me. Mm. Um, you know, that very much acted as a sounding board. Um, you know, my parents are incredibly supportive. Um, as I mentioned, both my grandparents, uh, both my grandpas were both in business. So having them to act as a sounding board, although very different industries to what I'm in, um, has helped. Um, but also kind of true to what I said at the very, very beginning of this po podcast, which is that there wasn't, I think there's a very set way of necessarily 
how you should do things or how people believe you should do things. And I don't agree with that. I think that, you know, rules are made to be broken to some extent. And, you know, that's, we kind of followed that with, with our business. We've done things the way that we feel, you know, people want to receive information as opposed to how others would portray that you have to. A hundred percent, unless a tax man's listening, in which case rules are there to be followed. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, tax, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, HMRC. <laughs> um, <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of, you know, teaching yourself a lesson when you first started out, you wish you knew, what would that be, Joe? Understanding when to pivot would probably be, would probably be my biggest thing. I think often founders, you know, business owners thoroughly, you know, when you create a product or, you know, launch a business, it's your baby. It means everything to you. Um, but often, you know, having that understanding of when something isn't necessarily working and when to, you know, pivot, even the slightest step to the right could be the difference between, you know, incredible success and impending failure. Um, our initial concept, the students to student product with Unidosh didn't, didn't work. Um, you know, students, they didn't want to spend the money. It was a massive flaw in the system. Had we not pivoted to open up the buying side of the platform to the public, what we did, it would have been over. Likewise, had we not had that, you know, whiskey night and launched Shout as an agency, we wouldn't have necessarily built out, you know, a revenue stream that was able to subsidize the, the rest of the business for years to take in to get the marketplace traded. So, you know, I think we've always been very good at identifying when something's not working and not being wholeheartedly, taking it wholeheartedly enough to not make change to that thing. Yeah, 100%. That's really, really interesting. And if I'm an investor listening and I want to give you a shitload of money, how do I get in contact with you? And if I'm a student, where do I go? Yeah, so I mean, please, please, by all means, um, hit us up on our website. So that's www.unitasker.com. Um, for investment purposes, um, please contact us at accounts at unitasker.com. Um, if you're a student looking to earn, build experience around your studies, um, head over to the App Store and download the app today. We're available on web, iOS, and Android. Boom. Done it before, haven't you? Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And here's a little message from our carbon offset partners, Carbon Positive. So, hey, Andrew, I just, I thank you so much for joining us. We obviously wanted to introduce you because you guys are happily uh, supporting us from a carbon positive point of view, trying to get the, the podcast carbon positive over the next 12 months. But I wanted you to tell the listeners why you chose this podcast and, you know, what's so special about carbon positive from a non-for-profit point of view. So we decided to choose success in the mind podcast for a couple of reasons it's not necessarily our absolute forte because of uh, our position being a being a not-for-profit but uh, it definitely aligns with some of the aspects that we do uh, and that we want to support podcasts with in particular we want to make it easy for podcasts to be able to to be able to become carbon positive and to be able to make their podcast environmentally friendly and show their listeners that they have a social conscience. We understand that it's difficult for people and it takes a lot of time sometimes and we wanted to give podcasts the tools to be able to calculate and offset their carbon footprint throughout their whole podcast, which goes from everything from production to their listeners across the world, and to be able to offset that footprint and become a carbon positive podcast. So, I mean, for us, it's it's something quite close to our heart from a business point of view. We're very much focusing on becoming carbon neutral. Now, with regards to the podcast, you guys are kindly helping us along the way of becoming carbon positive. So, 120 percent uplift on on that. Essentially, just talk to me about how you're going to make our podcast carbon positive over the next 12 months 
we essentially use an algorithm to calculate the carbon footprint of every podcast. So with that algorithm takes into account lots of different factors, basically everything from uh, listener location, listener device choices, global electricity consumption. For example, with the device choices, if someone was to listen to a podcast on a mobile phone, it's 600 times less energy intensive than if they were to listen to it on a laptop or computer, for example. So we'll take all of that information and we'll create a custom plan that will be specifically tailored towards successes in the mind. That will help us in two ways. It will help us to make sure that we can keep really up-to-date statistics for every single podcast and it will also give us a good idea to make sure that the algorithm is calculating efficiently you know you're a non-for-profit business b um i don't think you've necessarily worked with podcasts necessarily like ours before so it's really exciting to be on that journey with you helping you guys do it but but similarly sort of seeing what you guys want from us equally no you are you are um absolutely our first major case study which is super exciting for us because it really gives us some in-depth data that we can use to help every other podcast 80 to 85 percent of the podcasts that are produced will be able to offset their carbon footprint for less than the price of a takeaway coffee every month we see podcasting as a it's quite a young industry which means that we have a unique opportunity to be able to gain there early and to support podcasts to become carbon positive and make podcasting the world's first carbon positive medium it's properly exciting to to be on that 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 journey with you and i know you guys are based out in switzerland and we're obviously based in the uk but to be able to come together remotely is is very exciting and to be able to see our podcast become carbon positive over the next 12 months for me um is just another reason reason to, to, to get involved in it. So thank you very much for asking us to get involved. In terms of people that are listening to, to this show and every other show, where can they go to A, find out more about Carbon Positive, um, and B, what do they need to do to get in touch? The place to find out more would be to go to our website, www.carbonpositive.com. But then, as we all know, every business comes with unavoidable carbon footprint. We understand that Offsetting isn't the absolute answer, but we can make the industry better, first of all, and then what is unavoidable footprint, we can try and offset. There'll be a tips and tricks page on the website, which will help to reduce, first of all. And then there's a really short little page on there that you can input two pieces of data, monthly downloads and average listening time. And then within two minutes, a podcast can become carbon positive. I think it's worth saying as well, the um, the footprint of the podcasting industry is 1.7 billion kilograms of carbon per year, just because that doesn't really mean anything to me a year ago, but now it does. It's equivalent to 2 million flights from London to New York every year, or alternatively, a flight every 15 seconds. It's a drop in the ocean as far as the world is concerned, but if we can reduce that and obviously eventually bring that down to zero or even bring it into the positive section, which is what we're hoping to do, then we hope that that should make a difference. Wow. 15 flights a second, carbon positive. I love it. I'm glad we're involved and thank you so much for thinking of us, Andrew. Thank you very much, Oliver, for speaking to me. 